Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I can't believe it's a new year already. And uh, didn't we just have Christmas? Just five days ago, it's gone already. But uh, again, I want to wish everyone here a wonderful Happy New Year. And uh, hopefully you'll be encouraged by the word this morning. Um, and it's good to be back here, too. I'm finally acclimating to this colder weather. I was just telling Ed and his wife Kathleen that uh, I just got back from the Philippines. And I'm still used to 90-degree weather. And uh, my body isn't used to this cooler weather. So bear with me. Um, if I start losing my voice, that's OK. It's because of the cold. Um, we have the first slide. Be good if I have my little clicker here. Too much technology sometimes, but it works. So we have here um, wanted for 2019. I want you to give it some thought this morning as we talk about a mission statement. How many in here have seen or heard of a mission statement? Yeah, it's pretty common, isn't it? Pretty common. Um, yeah, they're everywhere. You know, you see them in schools, you'll see them at hotels, you'll see them at hospitals. Um, I was at Kaiser here a few weeks ago to get my eyes checked and they had me waiting in one of the waiting rooms and as I was sitting there, I just noticed on the board at Kaiser this is pretty cool, too. Uh, here's his mission statement. I'm reading it, and it's pretty good. It's short, concise. I understood you know, clearly what they were trying to convey. And um, so I was, waiting, so I was waiting for the doctor. And then I looked over next to the mission statement. They actually had a, a scoreboard or a chart that they actually filled in by the department as to how well they were meeting their mission statement. It's pretty cool, you know? And, they were all meeting the mission statement as they wrote it in. And I, th I thought that was really great, you know, how they checked that off. And, and it's very impressive. Um, and I have to say, they met the mission statement for, for myself. I was a patient, and I could clearly see that they met their mission statement as a patient. And so I thought we would take a look at a mission statement this morning, because a mission statement Really, um, in a successful business today or in, the, in, in, in corporate, you know, a mission statement is very critical. It's a, it's a strategy, it's an objective uh, that's set forth for goals, and it's a, that mission statement is the catalyst that kind of sets off goals and, 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 and the future that uh, the company wants to take going forward. And what I thought I would do is um, I would just show you some mission statements here. One, it, um, what they do is they identify the relationship of the employee to the company. And it really aligns the company's uh, message with the employee because the employees are the ones that make the company successful. And so we see that uh, it identifies that relationship. We also see the message is very clear, very clear. And it's concise. It's short, and it's something you don't forget. You ever seen a hat rack? You, know, you throw a hat on the rack and it catches on the rack? Or a scarf, you throw it on there, it catches? Well, that's what the mission statement does. It kind of catches, it's catchy, you don't forget it. 
It's always in the forefront of your mind. Let's take a look at some examples of some mission statements. Anybody here at a TripAdvisor? How many in here use TripAdvisor? I do. Everywhere I fly, I use TripAdvisor. Um, here, their message is, is to what? Help people around the world plan and have the perfect trip. That's a pretty good mission statement, isn't it? And I have to say, I use it all the time. Anytime I go to a new place, I'm not familiar with hotels, restaurants, I'll pull up TripAdvisor and I'll look at you know, some of the reviews. And they've been pretty spot on so far. So it is a, it's, a, it's a good mechanism uh, for them to um, convey what they're all about. Another one is, anybody heard of Amazon? Well, yeah, Amazon is big. I remember when Amazon first started, um, Kathy, my wife, she was a book collector, and so she used to buy books at Amazon. And that's all they were doing in those days was selling old books, used books, and some new books. And I got thinking, you know, it started growing. I said, how is this company going to make any money? Well, we know now, don't we? They're pretty big, especially during this last Christmas season. Notice their mission statement. Very simple. I like the last part, to offer its customers the lowest possible price. When you go on Amazon, is that what you look for? Yeah, the lowest possible price. And do you find the lowest possible price? Yeah, for the most part, you do. You search around. So I think they're fulfilling their mission statement, aren't they? Anybody heard of Walmart? Big box store, everybody's been to Walmart. Um, and do you think their mission statement is true? Yeah, I think so. They save money. They want people to save money and live better. Simple message, isn't it? And the employees, that's what the employees are told too. So they will uh, pass on the mission statement to others in the company. How about Facebook? Another one, very familiar with. Um, how many in here don't have Facebook? Raise your hand. I can raise my hand because I don't use it either. <laughs> so, but many of us do. So we're all familiar with it. And notice their, their uh, mission statement is to get people connected. And I think they're doing a pretty good job at that, aren't they? Every, well, everybody's connected. I know Kathy's connected. She has friends that I haven't even heard of before. You know, she say, hey, you remember something? No, I don't remember them. People from the past 30, 40, 50 years ago show up on Facebook. Do you remember me? So it's an amazing tool for communication. Here's another one, Coca-Cola. Uh, everybody's seen Coke, right? I've been all over the world, and wherever I've been in the world, there's Coke. Eddie, is there a Coke in the, from your country? Yeah, there is. yeah, all over, isn't there? <laughs> and it's cheap. So they create a value and make a difference. And um, so this is their mission statement. And I threw these mission statements out there to show you how creative the mission statement is. And also how you can remember a mission statement. You don't forget. It's like glue. It sticks in the front of your, your lobe here. You can't forget it. The mission statement is like a road map. It's a summary that really sets direction. And it points you in the right direction. And it's like a navigational system. It keeps you on course. That's what's good about the uh, mission statement. 
You know, as a Christian, we should, to, we should also have a mission statement, and it should be something that's straightforward and something that's easy to remember, something that you don't forget. You could write it on a little card, paste it up on your refrigerator. How many in here put post-it notes on the refrigerator? Everybody. So this is something you can do too. You put together a little mission statement, you stick it on your refrigerator so you're reminded of it all the time, every day. Every time you go to that refrigerator, you're reminded of it. Well, what will the mission statement do for you? One, it identifies the relationship of the believer to Jesus Christ and the one they serve. That's number one. The other thing, it serves to communicate purpose and direction for your life. Three, it describes a purpose and overall intention. What is your intention for 2019? What will be your intention for 2019? And it supports your vision as well. As the new year approaches, you may have thought of ways to make 2019 the best ever. As you start reflecting back, when you get to the end of the year, you always look back and you know, what can I do different? Is there something I could do better? Is there something that I want to do that has been on my list, it's been on my bucket list for a long time, but I've never done it? This year, I'm going to do it, this new year. Well, as the new year approaches, it's become a tradition throughout the world, and even the U.S., where people make a statement, we're going to do, I'm going to do a New Year's what? Resolution, right? Going to do a New Year's resolution. And this is when a person puts a list of things that uh, he wants to resolve in the new year. He wants to change a, a behavior. Um, a desired trait, they want to accomplish a personal goal, uh, or otherwise improve their life. However, the stats show that uh, very few really meet their New Year's resolution. Notice how quickly the numbers go down after the first week. I don't know if you can, can you see that? First, the first week, Right here, look at that, 75%. Second week, 71%. One month, 64%. Six months, 46 and now look what happened, boom. 8% after the end of the year. And these are stats where a university did a study on New Year's resolutions. So do New Year's resolutions work for most people? Nope. And oftentimes they don't because they make too many. They make some that are not achievable. They're unrealistic. So you want something simple, and we're gonna go through a couple things to get you to think about a good one for yourself for 2019. Okay, so here's one, a suggestion I'm gonna throw out. Worship the Lord should be your mission statement. And why do I put that there? Because throughout scripture, you'll see this common theme throughout the scripture, we are to be worshiping the Lord. And even myself, if I was going through this study, and it's something, man, I haven't thought of that before. Putting that up to the forefront of my mind, 
to worship the Lord for 2019. Worship the Lord. As we seek guidance, developing a mission statement, we see throughout scriptures, again, this common theme. That's not a long statement, is it? It's not very many words. It's direct. It's powerful. But when you look at this word, worship the Lord, it's oftentimes neglected, isn't it? I see that in my own life. It's neglected. Well, we see that the mission for every believer is to worship God. And if you recall, a couple of weeks ago during the Christmas message, we talked about the three wise men that came from afar from the Orient. And they traveled a great distance to see Christ who was born. And they came to worship him. And they came, again, a long distance. And it's amazing, as you see this, this is not the only occurrence of worship that we see in the scripture, but it's throughout the scripture. We see in the garden there was worship, the test worship. We see Moses, he received the Ten Commandments from God, which functions as commandments of worship. Ever thought about that before? Commandments of worship. The Israelites were to set up a tabernacle in the middle of their encampment showing the centrality of worship. The temple was filled with smells and smoke indicating the sacrifices of worship. The Psalms and other works function as books of worship. When Christ came, he showed us how important worship was by attending it regularly. The early church found reason to change the day of worship from what? Saturday to Sunday. And today we're going to read from John chapter 4, a beautiful story about a Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at Jacob's well in Sychar. And Sychar is just outside the city of Shechem. In these few passages, we'll see worship abound in a conversation with the Savior. It's a dialogue that's a beautiful dialogue between this woman and the Savior. Now Shechem, here's a picture of Shechem, and if you noticed up in the here is Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. It's kind of interesting. The mountains here form kind of an amphitheater right here. And people who have been there can actually have been at the top of the mountain of Gerizim and they can actually hear voices from a park down below. That's how the acoustics are so good there. And so we see and uh, here's the big city of Shechem. And then here's an older picture. Notice it's pretty well developed now, but here are the two mountains again. Here's Gerizim and Ebal. And uh, here's Shechem right here. And here's Sychar. And here's Jacob's well right here. 
So we see Shechem was a place located between two mountains, and it overlooked the valley. And um, it was interesting here that Moses was instructed, instructed Joshua to read the law in this very place. History, if you take a look at this, when the Israelites were here, they all gathered here. You know, the Israelites left Egypt after the 400 years. They wandered through the wilderness for another 40 years. And then they all ended up right here. This was the gateway to the promised land, which is kind of interesting. The gateway of the promised land was there. And Moses was instructed to read the law at this place. And Joshua carried it out as a leader. And he uh, carried it out. And the, as just before the Israelites were about to gather into the promised land. Earlier, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 through 29, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you will go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And later in Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now, to better understand the context of uh, John chapter 4, you know, the land of Samaria was settled by ten tribes of Israel. And they intermarried with the foreign settlers there. And as a result, they were no longer considered to be truly Jewish and were hated by the Jews. And uh, they were ex the Jews were extremely malicious and uh, against the Samaritans, they were not liked. The Jews would never consider traveling directly from Judea to Galilee, but they would take a longer route. And the longer route kind of show you, Jesus was here and he traveled up here to Sychar. And the longer route was this route here along the eastern side of the Jordan River, and then they would go up into Galilee. So they would always bypass this, this area because of the hatred of the Samaritans. But Jesus took the direct route from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria. And um, you know, during Jesus' time, it's interesting when you look at the Samaritans, they continue to worship as the Jews did but they took only the first five books of the New Testament, the Torah. And um, that was their spiritual authority. And they built a rival temple 
on the mountain here, Gerizim. And uh, this is their, their place where they were doing sacrifice, even on the slopes during Passover time. And they still do it today, which is kind of interesting. Years later, they still sacrifice there on the mountain. The site of Jacob's well is on the eastern side. And, um, and right now, if you take pictures, I wanted to see what the well looked like. You know, I thought it'd be a nice big hole in the ground. You could walk up to it and drop a bucket and grab water. But it's covered by a Greek Orthodox church. And so you have to go inside of a building before you can actually see the well. And uh, I was going to show you pictures, but I thought, eh, you know, I really like a well with no buildings around it. But... Um, there is a Greek Orthodox church, but if you go there, you can still see Jacob's well. It's a deep hole, 100 feet down, and uh, it's, uh, where, this is where Jesus was with this woman, out in the middle of nowhere. And so we see you know, how fitting the story is. It takes place in the area where the Jews camped before they entered into the Promised Land. I thought it was very interesting. Here's a, a Samaritan woman who was disliked, no Jew would talk to a Samaritan woman. And yet, there was a divine message that Jesus was going to share with her at this well. And it was a promise of a new life. And just as the Israelites, they had a promise of a new life too as they entered into God's land. It, I thought it was really cool. You know, the, the way God works these circumstances together. You know, here's a place where there was you know, hundreds of thousands of people waiting to go into the promised land that God had promised. And now here's this lone woman with Jesus in the heat of the day waiting to hear a divine message from the Savior. So open your Bibles this morning. Let's go to John chapter 4. And as we look at John chapter 4 and verse 7 through 26, the scene begins at Jacob's well in Sychar. It's during the heat of the day, and Jesus stops on his way and uh, rests at the well. And there, there's this woman. And beginning in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will be, become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, 
nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Well, there's a transition there, isn't there? <laughs> now Jesus was going to get into spiritual matters with her. In verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where, our, where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming which you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. This kind of goes back to our mission statement, isn't it? Notice. The hour is coming and now is when true worship, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine that scene, that woman? Can you imagine placing yourself at the scene? You're that woman, and you see that this is Jesus, the Savior, the promised Messiah, speaking to her. God, the very God himself, speaking to this woman at the well. Wouldn't that be an awesome experience? It'd be awesome, amazing. I who speak to you am he. Well, it's interesting as you look at these verses, you know, Jesus really ignored the animosities that, that came about and he defied the rabbinic protocol by asking the Samaritan woman for a drink. As a Jew, he wasn't supposed to talk to a Samaritan, but he did. He put those practices off to the side. And then the woman perceiving him to be a prophet, and possibly doing this to turn aside Jesus' penetrating questions about her current husband and the past five. Kind of trying to ignore, change the subject, let's go someplace else. You can imagine it's kind of like a knife. The word of God is like what, a two-edged sword? It pierces deep into the heart and the soul. That's what Jesus' words did to this woman. It pierced deep into her soul. Well, the woman tossed Jesus a theological issue. 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, Jesus, notice how he responded. He didn't take sides. He went beyond the controversy. He focused on true worship, didn't he? True worship. And on divine matters that would forever change the Samaritan woman into a true worshiper of God. Now, the true worshiper is not defined by externals that we read in the scriptures here. He replied, in effect, the true worshiper is one who worships God in what? Spirit and truth. That's the true worshiper. Very simple. You know, we can get caught up in lots of definition of what a worshiper is. But God lays it out very simply. A worshiper is one who worships God in spirit and truth. Let's see what we can learn from some of these passages here. Notice who is talking about worship here. The woman. She wasn't a theologian. She wasn't a Bible student. <clears throat> she wasn't a professor. She's not a preacher. She's not a elder, but she is a morally wounded woman. The only people who will worship the Lord will be the people who sense their need to worship. At least this woman does that. Now, from your own experience in your own life, when you came to know Jesus and you were convicted of your sin and you knew you needed a Savior, did you not want to worship him? And follow him and bow down to him? Boy, I did. I still remember that day today as if it happened yesterday. You finally realize who he is and what he did for you. How can you not worship him for what he did for you? The true worshiper is not identified by externals. He replied, in fact, the true worshiper is one who worships God in spirit and truth in spirit and truth. Well, the woman is undone as she talks about her thoughts of what she believed to be true worship. And she's the one that brings up the subject. We also see that she was stopped in her tracks when Jesus says to her, go call your husband. You know, worship is never popular, is it? The reason why is because when we truly worship, we have to face God, and we face him face to face. And when we do have to face him, we face him in a way where we see ourselves in the light of God. We see who we really are, don't we? Do you remember that day when you saw yourself as a sinner? before God and finally realize you realize that you were a sinner separated from God did he shine that light and reveal to you who you really were when you faced him face to face and notice what worship is not <clears throat> while we may want to know what worship is, Jesus only defines it in this story 
by the power of contradiction and denial, which is interesting. He's more interested in us doing worship than merely defining it. That's a good statement, isn't it? He is more interested in us doing worship than merely defining it. Worship is not geography. It can be done anywhere. This woman thought with worship was on the mountain. The Jews was in the temple. But worship can be done anywhere. It's not confined to a central location. How many voices have you heard in the past where they tell you, I can go worship God anywhere I want? You heard that before? We also see worship is not a race. The woman in this case was Samaritan. That reminds me of the Lord says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between Jew and Greek. We're all one in Christ. There's no difference. We also see that worship is not anything and everything. In other words, I can't do what I want to do. Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. And there is such a thing as wrong worship. Did you know that? There is such a thing as wrong worship. That's the case of the woman at the well. She was worshiping at the wrong place. The other thing you see here, too, is what is not his enthusiasm. It says, in spirit. And in spirit means something different than clap your hands and get all warmed up and fuzzy, get this nice warm feeling, fuzzy feeling inside of you, and clap your hands. And notice from these scriptures how worship is done. in the slide. Okay, we're missing a slide here, but I'll read it to you. <clears throat> Notice how worship is done. It's done in spirit, with a sincere heart, and attitude. It comes from the heart. It comes here. It comes from here. While true worshipers worship God in spirit, here it is referring to the state of, of my heart. And in truth means in genuineness. It's genuine. It's not fake. It's not made up. And we want to worship God according to the scriptures. And let's see. And worship will lead to this, as we see in these uh, passages, it leads to a further disclosure of, of God. Did you know the more you worship God, the more you get to know him? Have you ever noticed this in your life? The more you follow him, the more you honor him, the more you worship him, he sheds more light as to who he is and, what's he, and what he wants of your life. You notice that? That's the way God is. 
That's why we are to be called worshipers of God. Leads to further disclosure of God. And the point of John 4 is, is could be said it's a manual, personal evangelism. But it's more than that. As a woman talks about worship with Jesus, he is revealed, he fits the gospel's purpose, and the interesting thing is she first sees him as a man, and then what's the next thing? Then a prophet, and then sees him as the Messiah. And that's the message, that's the good news. That's what we all should be doing when we talk to others out there that don't know the Savior, right? They may see him as a man, they don't see him as a God. They may see him as a prophet, but they don't see him as a Messiah. They don't see him as a savior, but they see him as someone who will help them out in their troubles. Well, it's fantastic here where God was revealed. The savior of the world was revealed, the Messiah speaking face to face with this Samaritan woman. And to me, that's so amazing. But you know, even though that Jesus was there physically with that woman at the well, do you know each of you who have come to know him and you bowed the knee to him? Did you know you were face to face with him just as if it was the woman at the well? You were face to face with the Savior. Face to face with the, the Messiah. And all I can say is, wow. That's fantastic. Just to think about that. When you're worshiping God, you're face to face with the Savior, the God of all creation. And as a homework assignment, finish going through John chapter 4. Because it goes on, because after she leaves the well, some great things happen. She becomes an evangelist. And many are saved as a result. And this is something that should drive us this 2019. Worship should drive us into the fields, the fields of harvest. For if we know him, then what is it? We love him, right? If we know him, we love him. And if we love him, then we must seek to make him known to others. That's what we should do. That should be our mission statement, to worship God and to make him known to others so that others might know the Messiah. Someone once said a, a Christian should be the hallelujah from head to toe. Isn't that good? When people see us, a true worshiper in God, they should see Christ in us. Do they see Christ in you? Do they see you distinctly different than others around them? Do they see you different than others that proclaim to know Christ, but their lives aren't showing it? Is your life distinct? Is it different? Do they see Christ in you? As our perception of Christ grows, the only appropriate response is worship. And will that be part of your mission statement for 2019? I worship God. 
Will I worship God? Let's pray. Father, as we wrap up a new year, we pray that next year that we would put together a mission statement that we would worship you and be worship you in spirit and truth. I pray, Lord, as we leave here today, Lord, that we might be challenged in our lives to bring forth the gospel to a, a needy world, that others might know you, that others might be like the Samaritan woman and see, see you face to face and to see themselves as sinners needing a Savior. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you might use each one of us here as your instruments as we go into the world and we meet the unsaved. I pray, Lord, that there would be a, a great harvest for 2019. I pray that our mission statement, Lord, would bring honor and glory to your name and that through our lives there would be a, a sweet-smelling aroma lifted up into heaven as a result. So, Lord, again, we thank you for all the blessings we received in 2018. We thank you for all the things that you have seen us through, trials, tribulations, successes, goals. And, Lord, we know that we can't do anything without you. But we know through you everything is possible. So lead us and guide us, Lord, as we begin a new year for 2019. And may we look back on, on 2019 as a, a year of success in Christ and a joy to be a worshiper of you. And we do pray this in Jesus' name.